Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tom and Alice back. This is a special edition of the Burn Barrel Podcast. We're going to try to do one of these every week, maybe, um, which is largely a uh, an in-depth conversation with interesting people, and we've got just that uh, for today. Uh, this uh, <laughs> Her name is Iona Italia. She's a very eclectic woman, and she is just great to talk to. Great sense of humor. I'm very intimidated by her, Alice, because I've been looking subsequently on mm-hmm. Twitter, and she's like made this this meal that's got like hearts of pear and and you know peach the uh, bouillonnaise mm-hmm. with. It's very posh. She lives a very cool and posh life, and I want us to be like. Uh, I want to tell you. <laughs> I know we need to pick up tips. Yeah, um, but yeah, she's an amazing person. I became aware of her because my Jerry um, Callahan t-shirt. By the way, oh, I'm wearing my Jerry Callahan t-shirt too. There's only two days left, by the way, for the introductory 15 percent off for the first two weeks. So if who you... makes those decisions, Alice? Is there a, <laughs> is there a commerce commerce manager somewhere that I don't know about? So it's like it's your thing i can like turn discounts on and off but it's like, oh, okay. limited how much i can do them indulge our gimmick <laughs> it's limited how much but i can the, because the store is already like built out. the shirts are cool i'm very pleased with the shirts, the shirts are cool I okay so how did you shirt. find iona italia so i became aware her? of iona italia because she does work with do you remember the thing with the studies that they got submitted all the woke studies and they submitted them to a bunch of journals and they made it in even though they were totally made up so the people who did that one of them helen pluckrose um does this like magazine, Ario magazine, and Iona Italia is the, the sub editor of it. She's like the copy editor and all this stuff. But I started following her on Twitter and she's just like super interesting. She always tweets interesting stuff. And so I saw she has this podcast called Two for Tea and she interviews 
interesting people about stuff. It's like very sort of intellectual and it's it's really cool. I, I found her to be the person that you want to be like placed with at a at a seated dinner. Right. You want to be at the table where she is because it's interesting. It's mm-hmm. slightly mischievous. Mischievous. Mischief. You would would say the word mischievous. Please? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um. And uh. And she's cool. Um. So uh, before we get there this week, uh, the latest thing you just told me before we went on. Obviously, this week the the capital um siege of the capital by uh. Uh, Chaka from Land of the Lost and a band of hobbits and some Q <laughs> morons and some other people uh, where a cop tragically died, where a woman, was sh- a rioter was shot mm-hmm. and killed. That is the big news. Continues to reel. I-, I think Trump at this point is finito and should go. I think Alistair there too. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm not sure I need him to be totally purged from every instance of culture where he exists agreed i mean there i heard saw a thing that they're going to digitally remove him from home alone too i'm not sure ridiculous (laughs) that's necessary ridiculous to their credit though the aclu today uh Mm -hmm. said that it was it was no good that he was being banned from twitter and other uh, social but it turns out that even though this news hadn't happened yet when we had this interview this is really timely because one of the things she talks about and um, one of her issues that she talks about a lot is free speech and she said you know she's been a labor party member she lives in england her whole life and she's never voted for a tory but that um she wants to know what people think and that you know you can't by blocking access to the things people think make them think something different you can't you know and and how dangerous it is in the world the idea that we're trying to like block out ideas that we don't like instead of engaging with them and talking to people about them yeah and there is I've gotten a lot of criticism on social media for some of the stuff that we've written, um, which is condemning Trump and saying that he has to go, yada, yada, and that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get to that stuff. And and I had a long phone call today with a friend and listener to the show, an old friend of mine, my right. oldest friend, uh, who wanted to take me for to task. And we had a really good conversation. And I've I've really had a, a realization I, – not a realization. I – I I saw another way of thinking about it that I think is going to be the problem here. Mm-hmm. And I think – and I'll just tell you what the, – the in summation, it's this. And to, We're going to do a show tomorrow, which is technically which Sunday. Which will be meteor, yeah. And I'll, in, in that, please remind me to get into this conversation to tell right. you what we talked about. But in summation, mm-hmm. we, those of us condemning Trump and condemning the whole thing and saying that he's got to go and this is not acceptable. Right. We've come – we think that we must do that because you need to fix the institutions and you need to repair the damage for when the world goes back to being normal. Mm-hmm. We assume that we're going to have normalcy again and when we do, we're going to have these norms and these standards of behavior, etc. And so – we're saying that's why Trump should be sanctioned uh, in whatever way. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, so... There's but, but, no so what I'm saying is, but the guy I talked to today, he's mad and he's saying that no, you can't, you know, you can't have this judgment on Trump right now because that'll, all it does is reinforce all of the attacks on him forever and it does no good to censure Trump on this stuff right now because we're never going back to the way it used to be and the game is on and it's the end game maybe of how this country used to be 
and you must charge on. And I thought that that is that is not that it's that is a prevalent way to think about that is happening. People are there. Right. He's not alone. There are millions of people who feel that way. Right. I mean, that's true. And I get it. But I just don't feel like we have a president right now. You know, and I would prefer us to have a president. I mean, like, do we have to start with being in the middle of the apocalypse right now? Because, like, Trump won't get out of bed and... Well, he, I think he's getting out of bed, but... I don't know. I mean, I just... So, and you had told me, like, you know, I don't think they should use the 25th Amendment because he's not really incapacitated or whatever. But if you had a president who was, like, say, depressed or something and they still wanted to be president, but they, like, say, weren't getting out of bed or didn't want to see briefings, mm. like... I just think he's not really present, you know, and uh, I would prefer to have a president who's like, I didn't really mind Trump as president that much when he was actually being president for the most part. Like, I thought he did a decent job, but uh, he's not. And it wasn't even so much. I'm not even about like him inciting the violence or whatever. Like, I don't think his tweets incite violence. It's just not, you know, I think our standard for speech that incites violence should be really, really high. But I'm more annoyed at the mishandling of the response to whatever happened on Wednesday. And I'm annoyed at his lack of him not showing up to do something about it at the time. Right. I think we agree on that. And we'll get into you more know? of that. And so, we'll get into more of that. Yeah, expound we'll on that tomorrow. We'll talk more about we, it tomorrow. When we but... take the deep dive into the issue. Right now, uh, enjoy and experience the eclectic and Thoroughly interesting in Pleasant, Iona Italia. So we are thrilled to be talking to Iona Italia. She's a writer, she uh, and an editor for Ario. She's also a uh, host of the podcast Two for Tea. She's author of Anxious Employment and Our Tango World. In your and she's currently working on a book, The Half Casts, which is uh, about uh, mixed race identities. And we're going to talk about that in just a bit. But uh, before we get to it, uh, Iona is uh, is Parliament uh, under siege as well, or is it just us stateside <laughs> who are uh, and and are going um, uh, fierce attack? No, the situation here is uh, the usual snafu. Am I am I permitted to swear on this? Yes, go right podcast? ahead. Sure, yeah. um, absolutely. Uh, Especially this situation week. normal, all fucked up. <laughs> um, so <laughs> um, there's no siege. We are. Oh, wait one second. I don't have my glasses on. Why do I not have my glasses? No on? No problem. That's me. that's my life story. Is looking for my glasses and wondering why I don't have them on and. I uh, celebrated. When you're already wearing them. Yes. Um, I was thinking, uh, it's funny, you are, you are a little bit out of focus, but now I realize why. Um, yeah, we're on, our, we're on lockdown number three. So we've been mm. under COVID restrictions more or less since early March. Um, and this is our third big lockdown, like everything is shut stay-at-home orders mm-hmm. and all that. So, so that's very interesting. You know, obviously, stateside here, Donald Trump was very anti-lockdown. He was anti-COVID altogether. But it, it seems like from what I'm reading about over there that, that Boris Johnson is um, is aggressively uh, – I don't know if he's pro-lockdown, but certainly he's aggressively um, kind of pushing those uh, measures. Yes, yes, he is. So we don't really have – I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of the way Boris has handled things. I don't want to get get into the details of that. But I would say that we don't have a left is pro and right is anti Mm. kind of partisan um, political division on the lockdown thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think, um, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have any stats on how many people are pro and anti-lockdown, uh, but I would say that Boris has pursued a pretty, um, a pretty stringent and at times draconian lockdown mm. policy. So that's very interesting that, 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 I mean, we absolutely here stateside immediately politicized the coronavirus. And of course, like we Why do not? everything. <laughs> <laughs> but I would think that over there with, with Brexit, still something, still a hot button issue that mm-hmm. that people would, you know, uh, you know, run to their tribes as soon as possible. And that really hasn't happened. I I think that it I feel that it's um, happened surprisingly little. I actually think that lockdown has. I I feel that in in the UK the um, COVID has surprisingly united us, um, considering how bitter the divisions over Brexit have been, and considering that Brexit is you know happening right now, right um, as we speak. Um, but nevertheless, I think that, um, you know, you turn on the news every night and people are at home. So they're watching the nine o'clock and the 10 o'clock news on BBC. And every night um, you have, it's like an address from the monarch or something. Every night you see Boris sitting in the 10 Downing <laughs> Street talking to the nation. Um, and I do feel, even though I am a... Um, well, I'm no longer paid up and card carrying, but I used to actually be a paid up card carrying member of the Labour Party. And I have never voted Tory and I'm not a fan of Boris's. Um, I actually find him kind of a reassure, I find him quite a reassuring presence during this this mm. year. Well, isn't that interesting? Because he's somebody <laughs> yeah. who just optically looks chaotic. He's got his, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that, that, yeah. that, he's, that he's calming. I guess that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. So, so just going off of the, the news this week, um, obviously in, in the U.S. this has been crazy, and uh, and our, our Congress is attacked, the, the, a policeman dies, a woman is shot dead, one of the protesters, um, and it's just a tragic and sad thing for us. And to me, it's not on the mm. scale of 9-11 mm. at all, but it, it hurts in, a, in, the, in the same place that 9-11 did here. Mm. Um, mm. But immediately now... On social media, people are going right back to their sides and using it as a cudgel to beat each other, right. as if as if our democracy wasn't under attack. It, is that because we're just incredibly resilient? Are we the biggest bunch of holes <laughs> on the planet? Well, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that. Um, oh, well, I I feel that up until now. Um, Trump has been a stress test for America, for U.S. democracy, mm-hmm. um, and I think he's been the the most divisive president that I have ever seen. Um, I've almost never seen him um, addressing the nation kind of as a nation, mm-hmm. being the president for all Americans. Almost always just talking to his base, um, and in a very inflammatory way, in a way that just heats tempers and makes people more divided. And up until was it yesterday that it happened? Or the day before? Was it now. yesterday? <laughs> I've lost track of time. Yesterday yeah. was That's... the latest outrage, but two days ago was the, <laughs> was the attack in the Congress, I think. Okay, day before, yeah. Um, it was it was kind of late-ish at night here, after, mm. after dinner, day before yesterday, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Up until that point, I thought that the US democracy was passing that test with flying colors. And now I'm a bit more anxious. Mm. I think what I realized yesterday is how important it is not just for elections to be free and fair, but for them to be perceived to be free and fair. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the really dangerous thing that, um, about Trump's presidency has been the way that he has undermined people's faith in the democratic process. Um, and um, that's that's very troubling to me. I don't think he's actually done that much stuff. You know, he no. didn't go to he didn't drop a nuclear bomb on North Korea. Um, mm-hmm. He didn't. You know, he. I I don't I don't feel that very many um, programs were enacted during his time in office. There are not many kind of actual policies that I feel. Um, concerned about, but I'm just concerned about the way that he has just un- undermined people's people's faith in democracy. Yeah, there's... Um, and I think there was the fruits of that the other day. Right. And I think that another thing about it that really made an impression on me, and we've seen this in the U.S. a little bit over the summer, too, with some of the, the protests that kind of devolved into riots um, during the course of this year as well, is mm-hmm. that... Um, it's like a little window into what life can be like if you can't figure out how to solve your differences by talking about them and voting on them. And yeah, and it's yeah. sort of a disturbing picture. And I'm concerned about the people who don't seem that disturbed by it, who are going like, well, that's what democracy is. Sometimes it's messy. And I'm thinking, you know, no, that's not this isn't a healthy way to solve problems. And that once you decide you have no other choice but to handle things this way, um, things can go wrong very quickly. Um, you oh, know, yeah. everything, it's all a peaceful protest until it's not a peaceful protest, you know, and, and people are dead because of that. And I think that the people sort of cheerleading um, the continuing divisions, uh, I, I don't know if they just don't see it, that this can get worse from here and that that means you know more people will be hurt and more people's lives will be put in danger but um you know i i think people take stability for granted and it was kind of scary how how quickly and how easily the capitol building of the united states can just be overrun by by people who i don't think were a, a serious insurrection attempt people who were really just violent yahoos who were fairly disorganized yeah. and and were mm-hmm. able to get that far into the capital and uh and and you know it, it caused people to lose their lives over it it just it's it's somewhat shocking to me it's absolutely extraordinary to me that well i think thomas Jefferson williams put it the most eloquently when mm-hmm. he said a young woman gave her life for donald trump i mean is it it's it's so um i mean, i i can't stop thinking about this woman and i feel really deep pity for her. Um, And I think that um, I I, I have been seeing among people, um, among people who I follow on on Twitter mostly, Mm -hmm. um, not so much among real life friends, but partly I haven't really seen many real life friends because uh, we haven't been allowed to see our friends for so long. But on Twitter, I've been seeing people radicalizing before my eyes, Hmm. um, basically since the election. Mm -hmm. I think that I saw the left sort of radicalizing after after Trump's election, first Mm -hmm. after 
his, his, I was about to say his first election, his only election, his only election victory in 2016, mm-hmm. um, and really doubling down on um, their kind of really doubling down on the ultra woke and the identity politics stuff, which I think is, which I personally find quite toxic in most of its manifestations. Um, in an understandable, an understandable kind of response to uh, to Trump's election which seemed to confirm all their worst fears about the right. And now I am um, around this new election. I've been seeing a lot of kind of centrist and, and previously kind of more classically liberal or right-wing, but more just ordinary, thoughtful, ethical conservatives um, just radicalizing into these market chats before you know mm-hmm. on it i can i can i can kind of chart their progress day by day it's been really extraordinary and and suddenly people are sharing not quite q anon i don't i haven't actually seen anybody that i know sharing q anon kind of stuff but mm-hmm. really conspiratorial things um about the vaccine yes. uh, and about um about the elections being stolen um, those are the most, I was watching the election very carefully. Those are the most transparent. I think you have the most transparent electoral <laughs> process of any country. Because um, I found out quite a lot about it in the course of this last election. Um, right. The whole world has to know the inner details of Cook County election, <laughs> <laughs> ballot counting procedures. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. And I own it. And that... You know, I we made fun of. I'm a we're conservatives, but but we're it's complicated conservatives. So so, but we made fun of in 2004, the left for going on and on about diebold voting machines and their conspiracy theories, and had a good laugh. And in 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 even 2016, after Trump won, you know, suddenly it was the end of the world. Everybody needed ther- therapy dogs on the left, and you know, we've we've laughed and kvetched at at all their. Uh, hyperventilation. Now my side, the the right has mm. done the exact same thing, and we are on about yeah. Dominion voting machines. Now we've lost our minds. And why are we? <laughs> I mean, why are we so damn weak? The island of sanity is getting narrower and narrower. <laughs> <laughs> but what what is that? Is it is it simply the social media? Do you think, or is this? Do we not um, have the mental constitution to? deal with events that really shouldn't be considered that big i don't um i don't even know that it's that it's social media um i mean i think social media is a is a force magnifier of whatever else happens to be going on Mm -hmm. um it's just i i think social media is just a, a microphone whatever you're saying is going to be louder um rather than it's shifting people in in a partic- in a specific direction. Um, I think actually, I mean, I actually think Twitter can be quite good for challenging people's opinions. I know people silo themselves off in Twitter mm-hmm. by muting and blocking and and choosing who to follow and all that. But um, I like the fact that on Twitter you can post. Um, as somebody said the other day, you can post on there. The sky is blue. And someone will respond, this idiot has never heard of nighttime. Um, you know, I, I I think that that is actually very useful. Um, mm-hmm. 
that when you're on Twitter, you know that whatever you say is 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 liable to be questioned. I think that's actually quite good. That's probably quite a good um, thing about it. But um, I don't know how much is the pandemic because I think the pandemic has really affected people psychologically. Um, although it should should by rights have affected us more because we have been under much more lockdown. Um, And that is definitely still continuing. And the latest thing, um, which, and my source here is the BBC News at 10, as I'm not quoting some conspiratorial little website, um, is that it is not known how effective the vaccine will be against the new strain. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. That is really bad news. Although I did see one, they're saying, I did see one story, maybe it was today, that they were saying that they did have some evidence against the UK strain that it's still pretty effective, but they're not mm. sure yet. They need more study to determine exactly. the they're South not, Africa strain. They don't know um, uh, about that one. And And the truth is, and I hadn't really thought about this before, that the more the virus spreads around the more it's liable to mutate and the more likely that we will end up with something that isn't controllable by this vaccine. But um, I don't know. Although viruses do tend to mutate into more in, mm-hmm. into um, more contagious but less serious forms. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there could be an end game in which um, everybody just gets COVID all the time and it's like a cold. It's, mm-hmm. it's like your seasonal right. cold. Um, but I... I don't think we can stay in lockdown until until then. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think that's imminent. But what do I know? I'm not an epidemiologist. <laughs> right. But I do think there's there's kind of a strain um, uh, on people. Um, most people are really feeling the financial pinch, mm-hmm. even if they're not. Even in countries where they're not in lockdown, just people are not going out to um, eat and to shop and. They did the studies in Sweden where they had no lockdown, and nevertheless, their economy was tanking because people are um, people voluntarily stayed home because they were didn't want to catch right. the, didn't want to catch it. Um, so the virus itself deterred them without the government even needing to put the regulations in place. So that's a strain on people. And then also, we don't have our usual outlets, um, and. I am very lucky to live with people I really like, um, but I can't imagine if I didn't like them, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because I have seen no one except my flatmates. I think I've seen people other than my flatmates in person, like maybe five or six times since early March. Wow. So are you not going out of the house at all? Um, we're going out of the house. I go, I go for walks and to run every day. Um, but that's pretty much it Hmm. Um, because we're not supposed to take public transport except an emergency. We don't have a car here. So it, I mean, the restrictions have varied over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, A few times they were, um, a few times they were relaxed for a little while, Um, but it's been quite short spurts of relaxed. um, Hmm. So, you know, related to that, is that why – so in the summer, the George Floyd murder happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, the middle of the country. We're Mm. here on the east coast of the country in Boston, Massachusetts, and 
and all, we also here had a cultural revolution where all the statues had to go down, and we had, even though we don't have the same policing problem in Boston as over the as they do in the middle of the country, and I turn on the TV, and in London you're having George Floyd protests, and I would think that that you're even less culpable in the murder of George Floyd than we are. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and our police aren't even armed. Right, I saw that. They were right. running away from the, mo- the mob at times. Is that, a, um, is that a matter of like like the normal like drunken louts who, who go out and get uh, you know soused watching Manchester United not being able to do that anymore? Or was it... Is, um, I think not. I think not. I mean, in a few, in some cases, maybe, but we didn't really have rioting. We just had big protests. Um, there were a few um, marginal incidents, and there were two police uh, officers who were injured. Um, but it was mostly not rioting. It was mostly just straight, straight protesting, which was illegal here. Um, so unlike your government, our government did say you're not, you're not allowed to go to protests, right. um, which. Seems to be very sensible, frankly. I was very unpopular on Twitter for uh, opposing the protests because oh. I, um, on balance, I just think you shouldn't be protesting during a, on uh, mass during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't have a, you know, I didn't, I don't have a strong stance on that. That's my, I err on the on that side of things. Um, but certainly, I really don't think people should have been protesting in in the UK for the same reasons, and yeah. because we have less reason to protest. And also, we also have <laughs> 60,000 deaths per week or whatever it is at the moment. Uh, not deaths, sorry, cases per right. week. Um, so, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I mean, the US way of looking at things is just the US framework has just been imposed lately on the entire world. Mm. Right. And... Yeah. I have noticed um, among my UK friends, I've noticed people talking about other people's race way more than I have ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so every issue has become a race issue. So suddenly instead of, uh, you know, it's thoughtless of those people to park here in the disabled parking spot or whatever it is, it's, white people are parking in the disabled parking spot. These white people are, you know, behaving badly. Um, And I also, I'm I'm also hearing some quite dodgy things said about black people. Um, And it's really, it's it's not that people have um, become more racist. It's just that this sort of constant consciousness of people's race is just really not healthy. Doesn't... (laughs) doesn't make for a healthy attitude and interactions between people. Um, mm-hmm. And I have noticed just every problem is immediately rephrased as a race problem. Immediately it's, it's what percentages of white people does this affect versus black people? Um, and black people aren't even our largest ethnic minority, but the U.S. discourse is about white versus black. Mm-hmm. And um, we seem to have really adopted that discourse wholesale, and I wish we wouldn't. No, see, <laughs> I mean, and, and over here, it's the it's really woke white middle class people who are the loudest about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I did hear that Black Americans are more likely to be conservative, um, are, are are more likely to be kind of uh, socially 
culturally conservative because uh, more of them are uh, religious believers yes. proportionally, but they don't vote um, Republican because the Republicans are seen as a, a, a racist party, um, and probably more of them would if that weren't the case. If they didn't, if they could lose that reputation. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems to me to be um, really the wrong, the wrong way of approaching our. Um, are very are very yeah. real social problems, um, yeah. and it's interesting to me that at a time when this discourse has become so prevalent in the United States and this sort of um, like woke racializing of everything that happens, um, Donald Trump, who's perceived on the left as being uniquely racist, also got higher percentages of Black and minority votes in the United States than any Republican has in memory and higher than he did in the previous election. So it's sort of this odd dichotomy between, you know, kind of getting at what Tom was saying is it's not even really, you know, minorities and people of color who have really mainstreamed this discourse. It's a lot more sort of almost a class thing. Like it's a the sort of upper class white liberals in a lot of cases who've made this a big thing. And, um, you know, the area of the country where we happen to live, we live in these kind of predominantly white suburbs. And, you know, we see so much of it, they're having protests, you know, in a town that's like 97% white, they're having a Black Lives Matter protest and all going out there and doing a fist like they're in a, the black power movement. And this whole it's very, it's very sort of odd to me and it's that it's not being generated from the black community so much no. of it seems to be coming from like college educated liberals and in fact well, yeah, to ahead. be fair though to be to be fair i would expect college educated people to be the most kind of interested in political movements mm -hmm. in general and i would expect white people to be the largest contingent just because right. america is a majority white mm -hmm. country. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, but, uh, and, and there are obviously um, black people who, who are right. also on board mm -hmm. with it. Um, uh, and, and I don't mind that so much. I think it's, um, I think it's, um, it's okay to be concerned about racism or it's okay to take mm -hmm. any political stance, doesn't matter what your skin color is, including right. a Black Lives Matter stance, despite the fact that all of you are white. Or mm -hmm. I, I, What I dislike is, um, I don't like the bean counting thing, which is, um, okay, so we have a problem here that we need more, more affordable housing, let's say. So let's tackle that problem and think about how to create more affordable housing. And instead, we're talking about how more black people than white people live in poor quality housing. And therefore, this is all about systemic racism. I just, I don't find that helpful. It may be helpful for sociologists to have those kinds of statistics. And it's helpful to track to see whether the policies that you institute are actually helping the people you want to help, which is something politicians, by the way, almost never do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they don't have an experiment and a control and see which works and which doesn't. No, it's just like, this is going to work. I'm crossing my fingers here. <laughs> yes, it is. Pinky swear. Let's go. <laughs> um, that drives me cra crazy. But it's, it's just, why must everything be a conversation about 
racism. Yeah. Um, why can't we tackle the material circumstance of people's lives and just say, we're going to help the people who are in need. If that disproportionately helps black people because more of them are in need, that's absolutely 100% fine with me. Um, but I, I find this obsession with race really damaging. And I think it also blinds us to other factors. So during this attack on the Capitol, Mm-hmm. I was hearing a lot of people framing it as white people have invaded the Capitol and Donald Trump has done nothing to stop them because they're white. And as my friend Jay Shapiro said recently, imagine if, let's say in some counterfactual universe, Candace Owens had been leading this protest mm-hmm. with a bunch of black black people in their MAGA hats with their Blacks for Trump thing. Right. Um would Donald Trump have then sent in the National Guard and tried to stop them? Uh, you know, would he have behaved differently? No, I think he would have been even more delighted because the optics would have been would have been so right. good, you know, <laughs> or so um, so confusing to the woke. Um, and it's it it's not about it's not white people fighting black people. It's politics. You know, it's politics. It's people who support Trump yep. and people who don't support Trump. Um, and this has been Trump's thing all along. Um, mm. His dividing people into his supporters and his enemies has been his stock in trade before he was even elected. I remember this insane speech that um, um, I can't remember her full name. Her surname is Omarosa, um, yes. A, yes. a black lady who used to be used to work for the Trump team. Yes, and I, I she gave this astounding speech where she said, when Trump gets into power, he is going to be the most powerful man on the planet, and he is going to take revenge on all of his enemies. Um, You know, right from the beginning, (laughs) it was framed in this extraordinarily divisive way. Um, And um, I mean, not that the left also did some divisive Mm -hmm. stuff. So Hillary's stuff about the basket of deplorables, um, the way in which Hillary talked about the American electorate, I thought was just disgusting, really disgusting. Um, you 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 don't demonize voters like that. You have a two-party system, so you mm-hmm. th- that means you accept that people disagree and some people vote for one candidate and some right. vote for the other. That is how it is. Um, but this... This is partisan. It's not a. It's not a war of white against black. It's not a race war. Yeah, and even it, it's interesting because even with the Capitol being attacked, the, the the thread through social media was if these had been black protesters, they, then the police would have really cracked down on them. And this is just a. This is showing your privilege. That you know, this is a good snapshot of how white privilege works. We went right from the Senate being occupied by people dressed like Chewbacca who are ransacking the room, which should be top of mind, <laughs> to finding a race argument to have. Yeah. The guy who took the who took the lectern. Yeah. Um, right. I think this is the only good thing to have come out of it is the is the Facebook meme of the photo of him with a lectern in his hand, posing right. the camera and it says you may not agree with his politics, but you have to respect this guy for taking a stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And it's funny. I mean, they've now 
the internet has now ID'd him and, uh, and uh, a couple of people looked it up and it's appearing that he's never even actually voted in his life. So <laughs> he's, he's been registered to vote, but didn't vote. He was for, just a hooligan uh, looking for a good time. It's just people looking for trouble. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. I don't know how it was allowed to happen, but I don't necessarily believe the people who think that if it had been a crowd of black people, it would have been handled that differently. I mean, based on what we saw all year, um, how things were handled yeah. with various um, yeah. protests in the summer. And, you know, like Tom says, kind of to make it about that is so just oddly small minded. And Trump is like so badly behaved and petty and narcissistic. But then you turn around and somehow like the left manages to also be terrible. I'm like, he's handing you a gift. He's being awful. And you know, we Tom and I would joke about this all the time during the election season. Every time Trump did something so terrible and you would look, think to yourself, like, can I vote for this person? He's so, and, you know, we're conservatives. So we were like, think like, can I vote for him after he said this or did this? And then like the media or the left or, you know, Biden's people would do something else so outrageous that we go, oh my goodness, like, how can they all be so bad? Like, how can they all be so badly behaved all the time? And, and, you know, I share yeah, I share your frustration. Um, I mean, I I think I take a more um, uh, um, I I take a more optimistic view mm-hmm. of Biden in general uh, than you do. Um, but I I I am a bit worried about the continuing of kind of. I'm a little bit worried about continuing partisanship. Mm. So I felt recently Biden has been fairly statesmanlike. Um, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. He was good during the George Floyd stuff. He was condemning the riots and and condemning Antifa activity and all of that um, in a in a you know in the kind of dignified being above it all way that you should as the president. Right. Um, because even if people. Even the people who don't support you, didn't vote for you, don't want you in the White House, have to live under you. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you have to, and and you have to give them confidence that you're not going to, you know, you're going to be, you're going to re- represent mm-hmm. them as well. And I think he did that well during the summer, but his response to this event kind of dismayed me um, because he was citing his grand granddaughter. I'm sure you saw this at saying that, mm-hmm. uh, saying like as so many. People have been saying if they had been black people, it would have been yeah. very different. And I felt that that was pandering to his base. Um, I thought it was extremely tone deaf. Um, I mean, a lot of people obviously will cheer this and will, but only people who already agree with him, who are already woke and who are already mm-hmm. on the left. And your job as president is to get people on board who don't already agree with you, who aren't already right. on your side. Or right. it should be your job. Right. Well, um, and it's so interesting because of kind of what you said about how, like, it's you still have to talk to people. If you're Hillary Clinton, you still have to get people to come on board and vote for you and talk to them and listen to them, even if they wouldn't naturally be on your side, first and foremost. And I think that what's so dismaying about kind of everything that's going on, you know, largely in the U.S., but is kind of being imported to elsewhere in the world is that people aren't willing to talk or listen to each other anymore. They're just done. And, you know, when that happens, that's when you get things like what we saw on Wednesday, because people just aren't willing to to listen and vote and let a political process play out. They're just going to take things into their own hands. And, you know, I, I don't know what we do about that. It's one reason why I really 
I'm so fascinated by like your podcast and how you have on these guests who have, you know, really different views or who are talking about issues no one's talking about. And and you have these kind of long conversations that are wide ranging. And it's so, you know, I really think we need more of that out there. It, you know, people talking to each other and listening to each other and not just in sound bites or you know, short little 240 character tweets, you know, we need more, more, you know, kind of conversations where we hear what other people actually think about things, you know? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, um, I remember it was, it was just after the 2016 election, I was in the States and, um, um, I was invited to dinner at this, uh, um, at, to a, to a Sunday like Sunday lunch um, at the house of parents of a friend of mine, mm -hmm. and she said, "But you may not want to go because my parents support Trump and they voted for <laughs> Trump and they are kind of enthusiastic about Trump." And um, I I I find I I mean I understand why she said this, and I thought it, it was kind of her. It was like she was trying mm -hmm. to be thoughtful and kind, but I also think it's sad that you would therefore not want to go because my feeling was, I was very eager to go because I want to know, um, you know, I want to know why people think the way that they think and why they vote the way they vote. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way of ever changing things from the better if you don't start from a position of looking clearly at what is actually happening. It's one of the, it's the main reason I believe in free speech is that if you don't, if you force people to conceal what they're thinking from you, mm -hmm. um, then you just, uh, um, all you're doing, well, among other things, what you're doing is you're robbing yourself of the possibility of knowing what it is they're thinking. Um, you can make people lie to you very easily. You can right. just tell them, say these things or else, or, you know, don't say these things or else. Um, but if you do that, you have no idea what's going on. Um, I, I think I saw this happening not quite as kind of rampantly, but with Brexit. Um, and even Brexit start, has now recently taken on this kind of race thing that supposedly the pro-Brexit oh, people are racist, etc. It has, Brexit had nothing to do with race. Um, well, maybe it did for some, some fringe people, but mostly Brexit had nothing to do with race. What we saw in Brexit was this extremely complicated choice, which should, in my opinion, never have been put to a plebiscite to begin with, but this incredibly complicated um, economic issue, which most people, frankly, don't understand. I don't, I don't myself understand all the ins and outs of what are the economic advantages, disadvantages of being in Europe, not being in Europe, etc. Then you had a yes/no choice on it on this. A high, highly like complex, nuanced thing, um, and people immediately started demonizing each other. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, on both sides, I saw it happening equally on both sides. Um, and my my boss Helen Pluckrose had a lot of a lot of people just stop being her friends yes. because um, she voted uh, Remain. Uh, so it definitely came from the Brexit side too. Um, both sides were just utterly demonized the other side for 
a choice they made on a really nuanced, complex issue that most people didn't even fully understand and didn't even pretend to fully understand. It was just absurd. Um, and that that's one of the things that I noticed. And the other thing I noticed was I was so I noticed that absolutely nobody on my personal social newsfeed mm -hmm. and nobody I knew personally um, was supporting Brexit. And so lots of people on my newsfeed were saying, well, Brexit's clearly not going to happen because nobody is supporting it. And mm. it's like, <laughs> this is a big, big mistake that right. you get into in, in bubbles. Mm -hmm. And what happened with um, one of the things that happened, one of the reasons why, well, I'm not a fan of the Clintons, but also one of the reasons why Hillary's rhetoric was so like sloppy um, and one of the reasons why Hillary became the candidate anyway, despite being very unpopular, and despite the fact that since her husband had already been president, lots of people kind of felt like it would be a repeat performance. They don't like that. One of the reasons it was so sloppy was because people completely underestimated Trump's popularity, and that's because they were so siloed, because nobody they knew was supporting yes. Trump. Right. And that seems to have happened... It's maybe forgivable if that happened to you, just you as a private citizen, mm -hmm. but it's really unforgivable that that happened on a national level, that they were so up themselves that they kind of didn't notice that not everyone was on their side. Right, and, and it also caused them to never reconcile with the loss. So it, it couldn't be that all these men, it must be because of racism or the Russians or something, so they never reconciled, mm -hmm. which now the other side isn't reconciling. You know? Right, yeah. the rallies were huge. <laughs> right. We were all out yeah. there at the rally. There but, were so many of us. How could we have right. lost? It's the same thing that Trump people do. And the end. Yeah. But there's this, you know, yeah. and, and maybe this is what you found or your boss found is that Otherwise, lovely people, and in my own world, some women I met when we were all in our early 20s were the most beautiful, elegant, stylish. They just did everything right. Now we're close to 50, and they're now on social media talking about... Very very good age. Yes, it is a great age. I agree. So you're younger, you're younger than me then. Today's actually Tom's birthday. Oh, right, he turned 48 oh, today. So. Happy birthday. Thank you. 48. Get off my lawn. <laughs> so... So, and these women now are on social media and they're yelling at the Trump tards and F their feelings and this. And I'm thinking like, they would never have imagined themselves being that person. They were so, they're, they're wonderful, elegant, you know, thoughtful people, <clears throat> but they're just vile on social media and they, and they feel good about it. It's like, there's no introspection mm. left. Well, we have really valorized sort of emotion. If you feel strong, it seems to be a kind of um, a, a, a false way of thinking that seems to have pervaded a lot of people's um, minds at the moment, which is if you feel if strong emotions about something, mm -hmm. then that is a sign that you are in the right about that thing. Right. <laughs> Whereas... If anything, it's <laughs> often likely to be quite the opposite. Um, and so people are sort of s signaling. I, when I say signaling, I don't mean to imply it's necessarily conscious. Um, I think they really do feel the feelings. Right. But, um, but those, those feelings are rewarded. Kind of displaying strong emotion is rewarded and is seen as uh, somehow astuteness or as being on the right side of history or as being, you know. Um, and I've noticed that people who are, 
who don't do that, for example, to take a more extreme example, people who really can't do that, like people with who have Asperger's, as they used to call it, high-functioning autistic mm. people who just tend to look at things with this logical analysis and speak their minds very plainly and don't usually get into this kind of weeping and telling people to f*** off kind of <laughs> style of discourse, um, that uh, many of them are getting demonized for being kind of cold-hearted and for being like, for not, for not, just huh. not being up enough um and it's 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 weird <laughs> how interesting so i want to get to the half casts um but before that uh, you've got the two-part um uh book series called our tango world those are two books uh yes it's it's like so the um it's a Com um, a kind of anthology of very short pieces, individual pieces, and then they're um, separated into two little paperback uh, books, which were published by small independent press. Okay, so what I want to ask you is, and it's funny because I, m I was thinking about the tango, and to me, the tango is absolutely a simulation of of sex. And of course, <laughs> I look on Amazon now and you've got actually a chapter on that. Say why we why we confuse tango with sex. And, and it might be just that cuz I'm dumb and a man um, <laughs> that you see the sensuous moves and a woman involved in it and you think that this is it, it looks sexual to me. So why am I wrong? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I think that um, I mean, there is kind of an obvious way in which it it's sexual, and I always joke that tango, our bumper sticker, um, our tango dancers bumper sticker would be tango dancers do it all night long, changing partners every twelve minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so we tend to dance in these like twelve minute sets. Um, I think that it's mm, um, so it's um, it's not directly sexual in the sense that, um, for example, it's very rare to have groin-to-groin groin -groin contact. Mm -hmm. We don't usually have below-the-waist contact in tango just because of the way the dance works. Um, and um, also, um, I think that to get, to get literally um, sexually aroused, you usually need... Oh, sorry, your child is... There is, no, is he? no, no, it's okay. okay. They left. Okay. I, can, I can talk about you this. You never topic. know on our podcast, so it's a good question. Um, There's a dog uh, in the room, get... but that's it. Ah, okay. Oh, I thought that was your child. There was a child there was. here earlier. Now there's a ah, dog. There was, it, yes. they, it goes back and forth in here. <laughs> um, so um, cover your dog's ears just in case. <laughs> well. But um, when you get... I mean, to get literally sexually aroused, usually um, you can't be um, concentrating on something else that takes 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 kind of focus mm -hmm. and concentration. Mm. So people don't usually get aroused unless they are, you know, able to give give over a large part of their brain to this to the sex to the sexual and erotic feelings. Mm -hmm. And in tango, you are, you are focused on the dance, which re requires skill and coordination and listening to the music and, and other things like that. So I think it's quite rare for people to feel an, an, an actual physical arous arousal during the dance. It does occasionally mm -hmm. happen. That's interesting. Um, 
Go but ahead. but I think it's for that reason because so much of your brain is going to, especially for the leader, is going to be um, negotiating the room, leading the moves, following the moves, focusing on on what you're doing dance wise, keeping um, being balanced and and interpreting the music and various other things which are not directly sexual. Um, and I think the other thing about it is, it kind of so. Um, to me, it feels um, it's both sort of genuine and it's not the kind of feeling that you have when you're dancing tango. I should also point out that in Argentina, um, it's it's a very entrenched part of the culture. So people do mm. people very frequently dance. Um, uh, you very frequently see parents dancing with children. In fact, it's oh, I it's um, <laughs> often. I wish I had asked a question. <laughs> yeah, not not young, not young. Their own children. Like often, your teenager wants to go to a tango event for the first time, so you go with them and you dance with them. And um, and um, there are a couple of professional couples also who are brother and sister couples um, who dance. Um, <clears throat> um, and certainly, people will. Um, Certainly, people will dance with people they don't find attractive, sexually attractive, because they enjoy the feeling of dancing. They enjoy the dancing with them. They enjoy the dance experience. Um, so all of those things take it out of the sexual realm a little bit. And the other thing is that it's not. Sex has this kind of teleological thing. So usually, it um, not always, of course, but usually there's like the beginning arousal. There's kind of build up, and then one or more person or persons um, has an orgasm or orgasms or whatever. Um, and then there's this period, which I think is technically called the recalcitrance um, when, uh, when you have to rest and you're, mm -hmm. I mean, we don't have sex like all day long, um, which is good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, at, at the moment, it's probably bad. I mean, if these people had been home having having it off, then they wouldn't yes. have stormed the capital. <laughs> so <laughs> it has advantages and disadvantages. Um, but um, of course, in tango, it's not like that. You're just uh, um, you can stay on this kind. You stay on this even keel of pleasure. You're not. A aiming towards anything, and you you don't you don't come back from the dance. You're like, I need a cigarette now <laughs> and delight, <laughs> and I, I'm going to fall asleep. Um, no, you. Uh, so all those things, all those things feel very um, different from sex, and I think that when it's, um, it feels to me more like the way that we hold each other in tango. Um, and we hold we hold each other in a um, in a an embrace which is it's unlike any other partner dance. It, well, uh, it's of the partner dances. Um, it's the closest dance holds to a real life hug. Mm -hmm. So it feels like a hug, and mm -hmm. a hug can of course feel very. Um, sex, sexual and sexy, especially if it's somebody you find attractive is hugging you, and it's a long sustained hug. But um, hugs can also have many, there can be many different feelings that you can have in a hug. You can also, um, you can also just 
you can also just feel warm and affectionate. It can just feel comfortable. Um, it can feel kind of like playful. You know, it's a play, it, a playing together. Um, hmm. It can feel kind of reassuring. It's mostly good feelings you have. Occasionally, of course, you end up dancing with somebody and they, um, and, and they smell bad or they're uncomfortable <laughs> um, or they're not a good dancer and you get frustrated with them and you, you don't feel terribly comfortable there. But usually, and this again is where for me it really differs from sex, if you're in that situation, you don't usually feel violated. Whereas if you were having sex with somebody you didn't want to be having sex with, that would be a really different feeling. <laughs> you just think, this is not so great, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it's almost more like a, something that is kind of, it's like a, a memory of something. I mean, when you dance, also, context and meaning is really important to touch. So, um you know, it means something very different if a lover touches my vulva than if my gynecologist touches my vulva, mm. for example. Even if they touch, well, they obviously don't touch in the same way. I don't want my gynecologist to be struck <laughs> off the register. But um, but even if at that moment they, they say touch the same place um, in a, some similar way, mm -hmm. um, it's, um, it's very different because you know what the, the purpose of this is and what the meaning is. The meaning makes a lot of difference. And that, that's true in tango too. So when you're dancing with someone, you take them in your arms, you know that they're not, they, they're not taking you into their arms for sex hmm. or for romance, but for dancing. Um, is your best tango partner the one with the most acumen or the one that you're most compatible with? Um, I think it's, um, it's both, but a certain level of skill is needed for it to become compatible. Usually tango has quite a steep learning curve at the beginning. Um, so, um, I think as, uh, um, at the beginning, it's very, very hard to find real compatibility with anybody, although you can still find moments of it within the dance. There are moments mm -hmm. of, of kind of rush of really good feeling and it's the feeling is one of being um heard and understood i think it's like you're moving together so it, it feels really harmonious and it also feels like they're expressing to you what they're feeling through their movement and you're expressing what you're feeling hmm. and it feels like it feels like a very intimate form of being kind of heard and conversing without words. How fascinating. And so that is called Our Tango World. And you're working on the half casts right now. Um, yes, I have made a little bit of a start on it. Um, I'm, I'm quite, I've been starting this book rather slowly. Um, and I actually kind of made a start in it a few years ago, but then I got then I wrote the two tango books. Um, I was sort of commissioned to write these tango books, so I did that in the interim. Um, and the half-cast book, um, what I want to write about is, it's modeled on, um, um, I'm kind of modeling the structure of it on a book which is called um, Incarnations, India in 50 Lives. 
Um, I don't know whether I will focus only on India in my book. I'm beginning with Indian examples, but I might make it more international. Um, and what I want to do in, in each chapter is um, focus on one person um, and have a, a short kind of um, biography of that person, focusing on the way in which their mixed race identity um, significantly changed their life. So people for whom their mixed race identity proved to be important to their to their life in some way, um, either either as a problem or as an opportunity, and probably in most cases as as both. Um, and so I hope to make some points about um, what that what that might mean because I think that um, I see the mixed race thing as really challenging the kind of the the orthodox dichot the orthodox kind of divi racial divisions that we mm -hmm. put people in um and as potentially being mixed race is a lot, gives you an opportunity if you want to take it to to try to bridge cultures um and so i'm interested in what I want to do is give examples of that through history, right. um, told as little um, little biographies rather than writing mm. it as an essayistic book. Right, that's and the plan. I love that, and I love um, you know. I know I've seen some online some of the conversations you've had with Thomas Chatterton Williams, who also has a book about kind of challenging this like black white racial identity thing that seems to be happening in the world. And you know, we've we've always I love had. That book. Yeah, mixed race people um, in in the world and, you know, bridging cultures and talking to each other. And and in America, even the idea that, you know, that we're primarily made up of two different races, one black and one white is just not true. And it's ahistorical. And it it sort of denies the experiences of people because we're trying to put everything in this box. So I just find this so fascinating. Um when people who sort of have a foot in two races or two cultures kind of say, you know, you're not hearing my story and, and this is what it is. So it's interesting to me that you sort of um, have had this idea marinating for a few years kind of before this became really big, this whole like yeah. racial identity yeah. thing. But it's more topical than ever, kind of. So I'm really interested to see more. Yeah, I, I think it is. Um it's really the the kind of race narrative is makes even less sense here than it does in the states because um, so statistically um, half of all British black men and one third of black women are in relationships with non-black people mostly mm -hmm. with white people um, and that is uh, then that is a hell of a lot of mixed race mixed race children. And also, you know, blended blended families. Mm -hmm. um, I very very frequently um, meet people or or encounter them online, and um, the person is say the person is black, for example. So let's take my friend Liam Kofi Bright, who I absolutely adore, mm -hmm. um, who feels who disagrees with me on almost all of this stuff, but that's that's fine. Yeah. Liam is a really great guy um, and an interesting thinker. But um, so, um, you know, L Liam is black, but his younger brother is white. Hmm. 
Um, and I don't even know whether that's because uh, he's mixed race, uh, which he is actually, or because it's a it's a blended family and it's his half or stepbrother or hmm. whatever, which is also quite also very very frequently the case. Um, so this idea that there's kind of white people here and black people there, it just does not make sense anymore. Mm-hmm. How interesting. And speaking yeah. of interesting, Iona Italia, you are a fascinating woman. I, I, I can't begin to tell <laughs> you. You'd be, you'd be a very intimidating <laughs> so date. Sweet. You've got such an interesting background and you're so worldly. Iona Italia uh, is the person who we've been talking to. You should go out and uh, buy our Tango World. I, I just saw it on Amazon, so it's there. Look out for the half casts. Um, check out her work at Ario, A R E O. And follow her on Twitter. Which and is, her podcast. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry tea, about that. The Two for Tea. Two for Tea podcast as well. Yeah, which I was just listening to today. To, today to, uh, you're talking to a guy about wokeism, um, and I'm not done with it, actually. And it's uh, at Iona Italia. Iona, thank you so much. I know we took you long, but you're just such so fascinating to talk to. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. It was my pleasure. All right. That was Iona Italia. Um you know, what a, what a pleasure to talk to. I could have talked yeah. to her for four hours. We took longer than we had booked anyway, but... But uh, it, she's just an interesting person, <laughs> and I, I love the ability. I I I gotta tell you that I only intended to dip into the tango stuff um, at the end and move right along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she really, she really thought long and deep mm-hmm. about it in her in her answer, her her long, uh, her almost her dissertation on the the. The art that is the the tango mm-hmm. being something far different than simply what I saw it as is a, uh, it's foreplay essentially <laughs> uh, was very interesting and and so thoroughly thought out and so thoughtful uh, and uh, and I liked it. I just love talking to her and I love that she has got a foul mouth too, Alice. Mm-hmm. So that's my take uh, on it. And hopefully, if she comes stateside, we have to uh, hang out with her. Yeah, that would be really fun. I would love that. All right, so that is that. We're going to be back. For us, this is Saturday night. For you, it might be Sunday morning, but if it's you Sunday morning, Sunday midday or afternoon, there'll be another podcast (laughs) out. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Uh, This has been the Burn Barrel Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Burn Barrel Pod. If you still have the Parlor app, if it hasn't been removed from your app store yet, you can find us there at Burn Barrel Podcast. We're at facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast. You can email us, burnbarrelpodcast at gmail.com, and you can check out our YouTube channel, Tom Shaddock's Burn Barrel. Like, comment, and subscribe. C'est la vie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.